With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. They might talk about humor, music, film, books, football, and box sets, exercise, and maybe even food. Trivia and sports. Politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. On the life with Brian. Hello there. Welcome to Life with Brian, the Brian McClare podcast, episode 29. And we're back after a shortish break and a very enjoyable first live experience in Ireland. Mark here, and I'm joined by Matthew. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm good, thanks, Mark. And good to see you and Brian. And yeah, it was great in Ireland, wasn't it? We haven't been together since, but uh, what a night it was. Yes, uh, it was brilliant. And and of course, we've got our glorious leader with us, Celtic and Manchester United legend, Brian McClare. How are you doing, Chucky? You've been up to much? Um, no, it just reminds me of that trip to Ireland, you know, where uh, Matthew had an unfortunate incident in the garden. You know, so, which I've still got to do the sign. It just reminded me to order the sign, you know. So I think what happened was a dog had an unfortunate incident in the garden. You had an unfortunate incident, and I happened to step in it. That's uh, that's what happened. Trailed it straight into somebody's house. And there's always one. Okay, well, we'll move on swiftly from that and straight to our special guest. He's had a long and varied career as a TV and radio presenter. And, and newspaper columnist uh, and he shot to fame in the UK as the cheeky irreverent face of Channel 4's iconic 1990s nerd bible gaming show Gamesmaster um, and my quote unquote extensive research suggests he is the most famous person ever to come from Arbroath in Scotland um, it is Dominic Diamond everyone how are you doing Dominic? I'm good. I think Andy Stewart might be a uh, uh, lay a claim to the most famous person of Arbroath of uh, Donald Treasure Trousers fame it's like me and him Battling up there at the uh, at the the apex of our growth fame, but no, I'm good. I'm a bit nervous because um, so I'm in Calgary, Alberta, and it's June in Calgary, which is like the worst weather 
uh, time of the year. And yesterday I was doing a, a YouTube show with some some guys, uh, some retro gamer guys, and I've been putting them off for months and months and months, and I finally agreed to do it. And they were all kids who were inspired by Games Master to go into their own YouTube channels. And there was a massive thunder and lightning storm here. Like there's been flood warnings and everything. And a, bit, a bolt of lightning literally hit the house and everything went dead right in the middle of it. And these poor guys had been waiting like 30 years to talk to me. And so um, fingers crossed, there's a little bit of a rumble of thunder just now, but it's not, it's not too bad. So hopefully we'll be all right. We don't have such bad luck on this show, do we? Bro? We, we have to technical problems, anyway. Yeah, we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, usually, my behest. <laughs> yeah, just so it's, for once, you're not going to get the blame, Brian. Blame it on the, oh, the yeah, gods. I always get the blame, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was of loads of things I was going to ask you, first of all, uh, Dominic. However, your t shirt. Yes. That was, going to be my, that was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> I thought it might be when I knew that Raymond Mead now of Ocean Colour Scene had been a guest I on the podcast I can't believe when I saw it did you just get that made up just for this programme or you no, know, there actually I've was had- a Renell's t-shirt it is a genuine Ronell's t-shirt uh, from when that was Raymond Mead's first band and um, I've had it for ages I don't wear it a lot because I'm a little bit too big for it now I'm squeezed into it I look like a sausage oh, from the waist look, up basically no, well. <laughs> and um, and yeah and I thought I know you and Raymond are great friends and when um, when I knew that there was go- we were going to be doing this on Zoom and you'd be able to see me I thought well I'll stick the t-shirt on as a little nod to what in my money were the, the greatest ever kind of unheralded band in the history of Scottish music. Their album Motel is like the greatest lost album in Scottish music. You funded that. I did. That's why I'm so annoyed that it didn't become massive. I paid for that album to be made. And it's incredible. I was listening to their song Bolt the Doors uh, earlier on today. And it's still it's still absolutely incredible. I was amazed that they didn't, you know, they they, they could have been and should have been the next Fratellis. But uh, a bit like myself in the 90s, they were um, a little bit too young for the kind of, you know, for the praise that they were getting. And uh, it turned their heads a little bit. They were just, they were a bit too young and it's, um, and it's amazing and it's great and it's brilliant to see how Raymond has matured and, you know, over the years and does amazing things now. But back then, him and his brother, they were a little bit naughty and bad behaved and got a wee bit carried away. And uh, so it's just, it's great. I mean, they're both doing well. Daniel's doing great as well these days, musically. So it's good to see that they've done all right. A quote from Raymond from today, he said that if it wasn't for you, he would never have had the career that he's had in music. Wow. And he's so grateful for that. Wow. <laughs> that nearly cheers me up. That's quite, that's quite amazing. That's really, uh, oh, that's that's great. That's, that's you know, that's really good. I'm really uh, oh, yeah, that's I'm quite, said, quite so. taken aback yeah, by that. He's done amazing yeah. stuff. And, you know, the, the stuff yeah. he does for Holocaust Memorial things and everything. I just would never, I would never have imagined in a million years that little we ultra-talented but cheeky, arrogant, cocky, gobshite Raymond would end up becoming this quite incredible human being of vast, you know, kind of emotional depth and make such a fantastic contribution uh, to the world through his work. It's quite quite amazing. What what happened with the uh, the funding of the album then? I mean, Raymond Mead, obviously friend of the show, been on before. Um, did, you, did you know each other as kids? Or what happened? 
No, this was when I was doing the XFM Scotland Breakfast Show in uh, like 2006-ish. And my pal David Wells, who was in a, a great Scottish band called H2O in the 80s, and he was like my kind of, my older, everybody needs an older muso pal. And David Wells was mine. He knew everything about guitars. I'd go to all these gigs in Glasgow and he would point to whatever band and he'd tell me the make of the guitar they were playing from like 500 yards away and tell me why that was such a good guitar. He was amazing. So he started a wee uh, record company called Neon Tetra. And uh, and he said, you know, he'd, he'd been to see these these bunch of kids called the Ronells, and they were a great band. They were thinking of signing them, so uh, I went along to see them, and and it was just they were just absolutely amazing. So it was just a tiny wee record label that David ran out of his shed, and he said, so here's the plan: we want to we want to do that album. We want to get Greg Kane from Hue and Cry to produce it, um, but we need some money. And I'm like, absolutely fine. I I would I would love to. And so, yeah, so I, I, I gave them, I think it was five grand to do the album. And, uh, and yeah, and they were, they were brilliant. And because of, because of XFM, I got them some kind of good wee support slots. And they, ended up, they supported like Kings of Leon at the SEC and everything. And they were just tipped to be, to be great. But it just it's one of those things that just sadly, uh, sadly didn't happen. But like I say, it's good that if, if, I, listen, if I ended up with Wayman getting an ocean colour scene, then it was five grand well spent. <laughs> I'm sure he'd agree. Um, Dominic, um, you're a, a well-documented Celtic fan, uh, but shock horror, uh, apparently you started out supporting Rangers and you crossed the Glasgow divide, um, a reverse Mo Johnston, if you like. Um, did you yes. have any kind of uh, road to Damascus moment to, to get to that point? I did, yeah. And it was it was because I fell in love with a girl. It was like all great things uh, in life. It was all because of love. And uh, yeah, so I, it was weird because I actually technically, my, my family weren't big football fans at all. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of those guys whose dad took them to the football or anything. So we were kind of nominally Celtic supporters, but there was a wee guy on the school bus when I was about seven years old, who was going around asking people what team they supported. And if you didn't say Rangers, you got what is known uh, back there, there as a, a punch in the pus. So I was a smart kid. So when he came up to me, I was like, oh, Rangers, man, through and through. And uh, so, um, so that was it. And, uh, and when I was 16, I met this girl called Rachel Smith at school and she was a, a, a mad passionate Celtic fan. I fell completely in love with her and uh, she uh, went out with me because she couldn't get Derek White. That was her ultimate. <laughs> that was the guy she really <laughs> fancied. And um, so through her, I met her best friend, uh, Maria Petrucci, who I fell in love with even more. And they lived in Stranraer and she had a big brother called Romano Petrucci who had a cafe and a bar in Stranraer. So I fell in love with him more than the two girls put together. And he was my hero. And he was absolutely hardcore, mad, mental Celtic. And so he basically, he said to me, come on. He said, how can you be a Rangers fan and everything? And, you know, he said, you're a Catholic and this and that and all that stuff. And so, yeah, so he he converted me and he took me to my first Celtic game, which uh, unfortunately was just after Brian left the club. Oh, that's good. But it was a... <laughs> But it was a great, it was one of the best first games you could possibly have gone to. It was uh, Celtic Rangers uh, when Billy Stark scored the only goal of the game and Celtic beat Souness's millionaires and Souness got sent off. And that was my first ever Celtic game. And to be there in the jungle for that was just absolute. It was one of those times when you just, you're in certain times and places in your life where you feel like you've been there for a hundred years. And I felt there was a little space waiting for me in the jungle all this time. And I, and I felt, at home with this amazing Celtic family. 
Because I was just trying to do the maths there. You were saying 16 when you, so, yeah, so you you just missed Brian. But that would have been, yeah, yeah a few years earlier than that, and Brian would have been banging the goals in for Celtic. And, I know. Uh, yeah, that, was, that was a double-double year, double-winning year, though. Yeah, yeah. So and it was also, again, the that's right, yes, yeah. that, it was, yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, just after you left, Brian. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two, yeah, reason, two reasons for Celtic to have a party. He's not been, not one of the ones who were very uh, disappointed because... I let them down and I left, you know, so that's pretty good, you know. That, that no, no. I know it's it's interesting because I, I remember you saying, I think it was on the, the, the Mark Steele episode, uh, yes, it was about Frankie Boyle saying how he was, yeah. you broke his heart when you left mm. Celtic. and uh, But luckily I, I didn't do that. And it's interesting because I worked with Frankie Boyle at, at, uh, before, just before he became famous Frankie Boyle. And I remember once... What was it? It was some Scottish Cup final I watched in my house with Frankie Boyle and Ricky Brown, who was a Rangers fan, he was a columnist in the Scottish Sun. And we walked round the corner from a house on the south side of Glasgow. And there's two pubs. There's Heritage Bar that's hardcore Celtic. And there's a pub I'm not even going to name that's hardcore the other side. And we had to walk past one to get to the other. And that was one of the many times where I was greeted with a, a volley of Nazi salutes um, from the opposition. So I was there with uh, with Frankie Boyle that day. And he wrote the, he wrote the foreword for my, my book Celtic and Me, the uh, autobiography that I wrote so uh, he's, a, he's a cracking guy Frankie I was, I, I was going to say that Celtic do feature heavily in your your autobiography don't they yeah yeah, yeah. It, was, it was kind of a, it was interesting I, um, I so when I I first came to Canada for a, a couple of reasons one was basically a midlife crisis so most people buy a Harley Davidson uh, I bought a, a, a farm in Nova Scotia and so um, I moved there and kind of very quickly lost all all of our money trying to have a farm. So I was desperately trying how to did you persuade? Something. How did you persuade your missus and your kids to leave the south side of Glasgow to go into a farm in Nova Scotia? Because is it you're not a farmer, are you? No. No, no, I'm not. There's no background I mean, like that to do it. Oh, I no, know, I know I, that I've seen the thing where your quotes are saying it's the best year of your life. Was, I can imagine yeah. that, that how wonderful that would be to be in control of your own destiny in the sense you're growing things and you decide you've dug all this stuff out and yeah. what was your favourite plant you grew? I think it was, uh, I think corn. I was yeah, really okay. pleased with my, my sweet corn because I grew, uh, I grew like you had uh, a maze. It was like a corn maze that I managed to grow in this wee one acre of uh, of vegetable plots, and I dug it all out by hand as well, Brian. That was what was great, yeah, and it was though. it was the kind of thing I'd never done anything like that in my life before. I'd been such a slave to to my career because it's. I mean, I, you know, I was lucky that I I started at the very top with Games Master and then just worked my way down, and so it's very hard to to kind of keep a media career going. And as a result, I, I missed out a lot on certainly my oldest kids' kind of you know first few years and everything. So what was great about this year in Nova Scotia was I was out there with the three kids and we were all just digging our hands in the earth and planting seeds and, and it was absolutely incredible. I just wish there would would have been a way to make money out of it, but I couldn't. So so that was how this um publisher had got in touch with me and said oh, you know before and said, Oh, do you fancy writing a book about about your life as a Celtic fan? And so that I was like, okay, let's let's do that now. And and so it was an interesting book. It was kind of comparing like what Celtic went through and kind of what I was going through in the media because the two things very quickly became inseparable. You know, when you, when you go on BBC Radio 5 Live, your first show 
I did a show called Sports Call and it started about 92. And when you go on that show for the first time and you talk about who the Huns are playing that week, you very quickly um, <laughs> kind of get separated into one half. Mm. And so that was completely inseparable from that moment on. I was in, I was, you know, I was a, a media Celtic guy. Uh, well, you know, your you, you Celtic play a big part in your book and obviously you've mentioned about supporting Rangers and uh, before that. But, I mean, how could you possibly have forsaken our broth, though? I mean, OK, Celtic have done all right over the years, but I don't think they've ever beaten anybody 36-0. No, no, they haven't. And this this was interesting because when this last season, when it looked like our broth were going to get promoted to the Scottish top flight, and I, I kept thinking so many times, I, I can't tweet. I can't tweet about how well they're doing because people will accuse me of being such a bandwagon jumper because so many times over the years you get people said, oh, why didn't you support your local club, Arbroath? But there was that thing where it was like, what do I do if they get in the top flight? Then that's going to be, that's really interesting. Do I do I want them to do well? What happens when they play Celtic? But, you know, as it happened, they didn't They didn't quite make it. So I didn't have that to, I didn't have that to worry about. So I was just thinking, Dominic, so you've been there now, what, 12, 10, 12 years now? Uh, 13, 13 luckily years. enough in, in uh, Canada yeah so it wasn't it was it it wasn't work that took you there you just wanted a completely fresh start or, or was it I know you've no, been that, doing that radio, was so. it, it was un, I mean un, unfortunately you know and I, I hate to give people like this credit but uh uh, there was a lot of sectarian reasons of why I, I had to get my family out of Glasgow. Uh, there was one time where uh, I was attacked by a bunch of guys around the corner from my house with knives. And it was like, my wife was like, you know, we got to think about this and, you know, posting on, you know, certain clubs, fan websites where my kids go to school, but pubs are drinking and things like that. And the thing is, don't get me wrong, I contributed to that because in the nineties I was mad. I was an absolute, I, you know, like I was saying about, about Raymond and the Ronells, when you get that kind of success and people bumming you up when you're so when you're too young, that was basically what happened to me with Games Master. And I felt I was just like indestructible. So I said a lot of really silly inflammatory things, and I had no idea what I was doing until I ended up moving back up to Scotland with my wife and kids in like the two thousands. So I realised how I'd how I'd thrown so much fuel on this big hate bonfire up there, which I really regret. I mean, don't get me wrong, half of Glasgow, I never have to buy a pint um but um it was just like i didn't want my kids to have to suffer because of that i didn't want them getting battered at school because of the sins of their father so that was um you know that 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 that, that was why we did it it's incredible isn't it because uh i mean brian i was going to say you you must have experienced something similar but maybe not as bad playing you know the, the sectarian thing did it did it affect your life as much as it did Dominic, you'd think so. It does affect you. I mean, you grow up in the west of Scotland. Uh, Dominic um, grew up in a broth. I don't know just how well, clearly it was significant in the sense there's a wee guy wandering up and down the bus with a leather, somebody who'd give him the wrong answer. Um, Yeah, it it did. But when you're there and and you don't know anything else, um, you, you, you just kind of, cope and go on with it. It's only when you reflect back on different things, you go, well, like, 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 uh, I mean, I, I left, when I left Scotland to go to Manchester, my ch- oldest child was one and they, they grew up in, in um, a fairly privileged background in the sense that there was nothing, nothing like that, you know, there was different uh, scenarios that they had to deal with, of course, as any young person growing up, but they didn't have to deal with that. And 
when the when we used to come back, we'd always come back in the summer to visit. Um, to visit and they had quite nice that they had no kind of concept on this kind of thing and they were kind of bemused about any kind of conversations that they went on around different things you know and with like uh, and there was never supposedly that, that and that wasn't something that was ever that I'd considered as one of the reasons why I wanted to why I decided to, that my future wasn't going to be in Glasgow but in Manchester but it is definitely been an advantage for them that they are Totally, they can they can see and understand a little bits and pieces about they they grew up in a completely different environment, so I could see why um, Dominic would want to to be take his kids away from that because it can be very much like that, and it's very much a goldfish bowl, you know, where mm. it's it's a in the sense of the size of the land mass that Scotland is in comparison to England. Uh, Scotland's a big country, really, but the population tends to, is concentrated in these areas, and particularly when it comes down to to Celtic and Rangers. And you do you think that you know, sometimes I wonder whether it has got better or not, and I'm not, not quite sure whether whether it has or not. You know, um, I think, I think it seems other. I think it seems worse now uh, because of the internet I think that, that, uh, that Twitter gives such a megaphone to yeah, it, the, I like, that, it yeah. I mean I, I lock my Twitter account when there's when there's Glasgow derbies now because just the absolute abuse that I get is just it's like I'm not going to let them even kind of do it it's, and I don't know whether that means the problem's worse or whether it's just amplified now because of social media Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's shocking because obviously I remember you doing things like 606 and being yeah. You know, from down south of the border, I just thought of you as a sort of a a gobby, funny um, football pundit. Take that in the right way, please. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a compliment. I mean, to think people would take it to that extent uh, is is shocking, really. Because yeah. I mean, it was of an era when that happened. I mean, you, you know, you had you followed on from people like Danny Baker, and, and you know, there were a lot of people that spoke their mind, and, and it was a great period for for radio and television broadcasters, but for that to be taken to a, to the extent where you'd almost be fearing for your life is a, is, is a big, big deal, isn't it? But I think that's also the reason why in, in Scotland, you don't get many football pundits or broadcasters that are, you know, Celtic or Rangers fans. They tend to, you know, they tend to be other, other clubs. And I think yeah. there's a reason for that. It's very hard. You, I, I find it, well, I certainly found it impossible to do um, football radio shows without letting my inner fan come out. Uh, and I don't know how that's possible because it's a game that is built completely on passion. So I could never disassociate that passion from the punditry. Yeah. And maybe that maybe there's other people that can, but I, I don't think if you're a if you, if you're a fan of a of a Celtic or a Rangers or a Man United or a Liverpool, I don't think you can disassociate from that at all. No, that, that's something I've noticed with some Scottish pundits. Yeah, they often say in interviews or what have you, they support. St Johnston or Clyde, or and I'm thinking, come on, <laughs> yeah, pull the other one back. <laughs> but you know, I can see, obviously, from your experience, I can see, uh, I can see why they do it. And I mean, it's slightly different. I mean, I, I live in Liverpool, and Liverpool Everton's a huge rivalry, but you wouldn't get that kind of, you know, it, it's not to that extent at all. And I would say it's probably not like that in Manchester either, Brian, or anywhere south of the border. It's a different level of uh, no, like, because because it only it only perpetuates and it's only important at that particular moment or that week before. So the week before the derby, it's important and it becomes tribal and that kind of thing. It's a day-to-day scenario when you when you when you're living in Scotland. And a lot of that for me is, is down to the fact you're, you're segregated from the moment 
well, so you're segregated. You, you, you grow up in whatever area you grow up. And if you've got fairly open-minded people, which most of the people in Scotland are, and you're all playing together and you play together until you're four or five, then the next minute you go to different schools, you know, and you go to different schools and there could be a school next to you. And that I do remember being in the schools, certainly when I was brought up, the school, the, the, the non-denomination school and the Catholic school were right next to each other. And there was a great big fence or steel fence thing, but there was gaps in it. And we'd be throwing stones at each other. <laughs> but then after school, when we went back, we were playing with each other. Really? <laughs> so it's this kind of thing about what, what is happening here, you know, a bit like, you know, the ones that rule are the ones like, Dominic mentions the guy who says, or the girl who says that, oh, you have to be this particular way. And and so from a very early age, it's every day of your life in a certain way, just because you're wearing a different uniform for the next person. And I suppose one of the way it's, and certainly it appears to be, it's certainly what I can see is that there's more and more situations where kids go to school because it's the best school that their parents think they should go to. And there isn't so much about the uniform, there's more of a casual kind of dress sense to do with, particularly what I see in primary school, you know, but certainly when I was at primary school, you were mapped out, you know, and the other ones were mapped out. So if, if there's a squad of one particular people heading down one particular road, you had a choice whether you wanted to take your chances and see what happened or you took a completely different route. And a lot of that depended on about how hungry you were. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What what I found interesting in Canada though is when you take that out of Scotland, it's it's not the same. Like where I, I live in, I mean Calgary is is hardcore blue nose. It really is. I mean, there's not a lot of Celtic fans over here. Tons of Rangers fans, and and I know them all. And we have a laugh, and we get on we get on great every year. I do a fundraiser for the uh, the children's hospital here in Calgary. Uh, I do the burn supper. And I would say that is like, it's probably 99% Scottish expats and 98% of them are Rangers fans. And uh, I mean, those are some of the best nights I have. And and both of I mean, I wind them up and both parties use lots of words that you're not allowed to use these days. But it's there's something that's different about it. It's, it is, and I hate when people use that as an excuse, but it is banter. It is, um, it's a kind of, it's a humorously tribal thing, but you take that and you put it into Scotland and, and knives come out. And, and I don't know what that is about Scotland. And maybe just because it's smaller, maybe it's because it's more concentrated population-wise, or I don't know. Do you still have a radar, Brian, when you're out drinking? I mean, I've been out for a few pints with you in Glasgow and I've, you know, I've never seen you get any bother, but would there be a place where you'd go, whoa, hang on a minute, put the brakes on, I'm not going anywhere near there? No, not, I don't think so, no, because I think it's more like, well, I mean, you just have to be fairly sensible. I think that, again, it evolves around a particular moment, you know, so I'm not sure. I wouldn't have any problem of wandering into any place that I knew was was um, was generally supported by a particular team. I think there's a different situation where it might be when 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 it becomes a bit to do with a particular situation. So maybe I wouldn't go in to certain places after a, a negative result, you know, and after a, of long days of of drinking. Most of the time, uh, when when I've been in anywhere, I've been. Uh, I don't, and it's the same thing that, as like Dominic says, 
any kind of things that have from cross have been to do have been banter, you know, humorous sort of stuff, not offensive at all. Uh and and I think that maybe that's something to do with you just if you just kind of live your life as the same kind of people that they are. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm fortunate enough to be myself and had a vast array of experiences, but I just, I'm a football fan. I was a football fan before, I was a football player, and I'm a football fan now. But I don't go running around um try to change other people's views on what they think about, you know, they support their team, I support my team. Uh, so there are, but again, when you're grown up, when you're brought up with that, and you've already got this radar about which is set from a very early age, uh, going to primary school, secondary school. Then I said to you, you're always wary, always wary, and that, that, that's not that. That's not just about. I think that's just circumstances anyway. And it's not. It's not. It's not. Um, it's applicable to any city the way you're in. I think you've always got to be wary of anything could could happen now. But the, the the problem that I have is that I am also an arsehole and that doesn't help in that I have I have a um I have a kind of weakness of uh, in my character which is I'm I'm an addict and uh, I so I get addicted to adrenaline no matter what forms that has come in my life whether that's drink drugs broadcasting live telly live radio or as I often did even when I was in the middle of the cauldron in the mid 2000s when Celtic won the league I would drive to Ibrox I would stand outside Ibrox with a Celtic scarf Mm. getting a photograph I would run into notorious Rangers pubs and say get it fucking right up you now that's madness that's absolutely insane and I deserve a punch (laughs) in the pus for that and no matter how much I know that it's wrong and this isn't even in my 20s but this is you know when I was a dad when I was you know in in my late 30s in Glasgow with three kids I'd still do it because (laughs) there is something about that um that tribal kind of hooligan football thing that appeals to the addict in me. And uh, and thank thank God I'm in Canada where they're just so laid back. You can go to a hockey match over here between two r- rival teams and the fans are sitting together having a beer. They, they really don't care. Vancouver's the only place. Sometimes Vancouver, when they lose big matches, they set cars on fire. That's pretty bad. But generally speaking, it's not that same thing. And, and just as well, because uh, I'd... Uh, to know, I mean, I've not. I mean, I, I last went back to a game about five years ago, and uh, and I didn't go to a, to a derby game, so I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see how I behaved then, because it's also. I mean, sometimes it's fun. I I have had um, one whole section of Ibrox chanting who who ate all the pies to me, and I conducted them. I mean, that's kind of fun. In, in in a lot of ways, so it's horrible because on the one hand, I'm like, oh my god, that's absolutely terrible. I can't walk into certain parts of Glasgow without being stabbed. But at the same point, I am the guy who called them scum of the earth on the BBC in the 90s. So it's um, it's hardly surprising that I have irked certain sections of it, you know. Support for Life with Brian, the Brian McLeod podcast, is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. 
Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code McClare at manscaped.com. So, Brian, during your career, you're always remembered for your assists for famous Manchester United goals by the likes of Mark Hughes, David Beckham and Eric Cantona. I think it's fair to say you know a thing or two about great balls, don't you? Well, yes, I think when you can talk about balls like that, yes. I've, uh, occasionally, I have uh, caressed some uh, balls. So tell me, you two, did you enjoy the Manscaped experience with your goodies? Uh, I have to tell you, I'm a big fan of the grooming devices and the various pleasant smelling potions, uh, and I reckon the wife will be too. So let's hope my well-kept undercarriage will equal a well-kept marriage. Well, I haven't seen two uh, smooth-looking balls since that time you cheated me out of $10 and uh, on the pool table in Houston, Brian. I don't know about you. And I don't think I've ever uh, spread any soothing material on my pool balls. Coming into the summer, who wouldn't want the uh, ball deodorant at this time of year? I think it's important that uh, all aspects of one's body is uh, deodorised and smelling fresh. Well, that is handy. Uh, The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived and it certainly kicks things up a notch. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. The lawnmower and the weed whacker are waterproof, so take them into the shower and say goodbye to mess on your bathroom floor. And their propriety skin-safe technology helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs in all those delicate places. Their crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner will change the way you approach your downstairs hygiene routine. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Uh, and don't forget, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code McClare at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code McClare. So unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I wanted to talk to you about the 90s and go back a bit to a time when maybe you weren't as well known for your Celtic views as uh, as you are now, but um, Games Master, obviously, uh, yeah. hugely popular and remains revered to this day as one of the uh, the, the top shows of the 90s um, mm. alongside shows like The Word uh, we've had Terry Christian on here before and uh, Fancy oh, Football yeah, to name yeah. it a few. Oh yeah, you're, you're rubbing it you're giving your stab at them now Well no, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, esteemed <laughs> company esteemed, esteemed company. for the word I did well, you're, well, giving him a, you're giving them a kick in the balls there <laughs> Ryan, you, you, there, there, there's the question, what happened? Well it's it's interesting because I've, I was listening to Terry Christian on this and I find it really interesting that he said that the success of the word was that they didn't try to be cool. And I thought that was weird because the reason I auditioned for the word was I thought it was the coolest show on television. I thought it was just the absolute apex of cool. There was nothing cooler. So I was desperate to get on that show and I'd, uh, I'd just left university and I was, uh, I was doing uh, stand-up comedy in London and they had this open audition for the new presenter. So I applied for that. And uh, I think it was the first of these kind of whole reality TV style search for a star things that, that they ever did. It was kind of like Britain's Got Talent for presenters. And and so there was thousands of us there. And I got down to the last 12 uh, and I didn't get the show. And I was very lucky. I was so depressed because I thought, oh, well, that's it. That's my dream of, of kind of TV over. The stand-up comedy wasn't going great at the time. And I was working as a security guard in um, 
Abbey National in Milton Keynes actually at night. Um, and um, and so I thought that was it. But then I got a call about from these people and this guy said, oh, I'm Adam Wood. I produced the, I'm going to be producing the show called Games Master. It's a new video games TV show. We spoke to the people who did the auditions at the Word and they recommended you. And it was interesting because I still think the reason I didn't get the Word was because I wasn't cool. Because all the other people looked so trendy. They were like, you know, kind of like young versions of how Brian looks now. You know what I mean? They got the trendy hair well, and the beards. I thought and Brian was like modelling himself on you in Games Master. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's like the Patrick Moore now, isn't it? That's like, um, it's about the same age. But, um, no. <laughs> but, um, but so it was really interesting. Um, when, I, when I came to write the, the book about Games Master uh, last year, and there's a lot I wrote about how obsessed I was about how uncool I felt because I'd been rejected by the word and they'd only got me to do the show Games Master because I think I was the only one who auditioned for the word that had glasses. So they were like, oh, let's get him because he kind of looks a little bit like like a nerd. So I I really struggled with the first couple of years of Games Master where I, I didn't have any choice in what I wore and especially Series 2 when they put me in this red buttons, uh, red coat thing. And I felt humiliated. I felt, oh, this is horrible. And that's why after um, my time when I left the show and came back and I was like, right, I was in charge of everything. And I know this might seem so silly and superficial, but I was like, I'm wearing what I want to wear and I'm looking how I want to look. But the problem is that when you are, the thing about television is that if you're the face of the show, that's what gets, that's what gets all the publicity. So I, I was, uh, you know, the show was getting 3 million viewers. There was a newspaper articles about it every single week. And they all had this picture of me looking like an arsehole in a red jacket. And I hated that. And meanwhile, there's Terry Christian on the ward. All right, welcome to the ward. I'm looking at these grimly's trendy t-shirts and everything like that. And I'm like, and I, I do, I met Terry years afterwards and I really liked him and I got, well, but I'm not kidding. See when I even hear him and when I heard him on, uh, on your podcast, I get a cold. So I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> that was my dream show. You, you had it. You know? So you, so you auditioned what to replace Terry or no, no, no. Terry? This was when uh, when Katie Puckrick got it uh, in the end. So yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no. Terry's job was never in doubt. Uh, so not was Katie Puckrick, who was good. I thought she was she was a cool choice actually. She was she was quite a cool character. That, that, that's a revelation to me. I thought you, that look on Games Master, those early series, was you. I thought that was all your idea. Was it not? Nope. No, oh. absolutely no. And and in fact, the reason was was that I I got so carried away after the success of series one, and my life just completely changed overnight. From you know, I was I was living at home. I was sharing a room with two brothers because um, I'd come back from university, so they already had a room they shared, and they had two bit two single beds, and I slept on a bloat mattress in the middle. And then I got Games Master, so this you know the biggest new show on Channel Four, and I'm sharing a room with two brothers. There's not even room to walk in that room, and. So it was it was very strange, and then everything started happening very quickly. And you know, I'd be asked to open this shop and that shop and go to this game launch and do this and do that. And and I was so busy with all that that when they phoned up and said, "All right, here's the idea for series two. I'm I'm, I'm not even listening. Yeah, yeah, oil rig, fine. Yeah, yeah red coat, yeah, fine. Okay, fine. Boop. And I hung up. And it wasn't until I turned up. And I, there's your costume. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Well, we told you. I don't even remember at all. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm starting. And I really felt uncomfortable in my own skin in the, in, in the whole of that 
of that series. And I've been wearing a cravat for all these years because of that. <laughs> now, uh, well, I think it's, if anyone listening to this that's not old enough to remember, which I'm sure there isn't anyone, but I think it's really hard to explain how big a show like that was back then. I mean, you just don't get things like that now, do you? Same with the no. word. It's one of those shows that everybody watched. I mean, you said, what was it, three million? Yeah. It's appointment to view. You, you don't get appointment to views these days, really. Apart no. from, I suppose, your big reality TV shows in the UK. But back then, I mean, Friday night, you know, when you like you were saying to Terry, Brian, you know, because you were staying in on a Friday night as a footballer, that was your going out on a Friday night was watching The Word. And you just, you don't get stuff like that these days. Yeah, I watched Games Master as well. You, you were a big gamer, weren't you? Well, what's called a gamer now, uh, I don't know what the a geek was probably what you were called back then, but you Me. you were a fan of uh, computer games, Brian, weren't you? Oh, I've always been there. I mean, I got into games because they were first in the pub, you know, and then being a very uh, forward-thinking country, you could get into the pub in Scotland when you were 15. <laughs> but just to say you were playing on the computer game. Yeah, yeah. but they did have, and they had, I mean, the first, one that, that had a call. It's not, not one of my favourite ones, but did, did kind, of, kind of interested and always been interested. Sorry, no, before that, I'd seen a, a friend that had the, the, the first kind of what you might say was a console where they had uh, that Pong thing with the table tennis thing. It was just, and, that, and then I thought, this is just was great, you know, but it was yeah. uh, all my entertainment being outside, you know, by then. And this was something that was like something you could do inside, you know. And I've said lots of times, Dominic. That if I had had um, the, the, the sort of stuff you can get immerse yourself now, I'm not sure I'd be outside kicking a ball around. Yeah. But then the next part of my kind of thing was when I went to the pub and they had Space Invaders. I wasn't really a big fan of Space Invaders, but then um, I liked Asteroids. I thought it was oh, a great game. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I loved playing that. And it just seemed to be a thing about that, you know. Like So Asteroids was probably the first... The game and, and asteroids, yes, yeah, asteroids in the pub, and then and then yeah, after yeah. that, it was I got introduced to uh, Sinclair Spectrum. Yeah, that was my first so computer at home. ZX eighty one, and it was in my uh, my brother in law's house, and he had one because he was he was he worked for Honeywell, so it was all into the early days of computers, and yeah. they knew about all this stuff, you know, and he eventually used to build his own kind of PCs and all that kind of thing. Be sitting there and have this tape making us. The <laughs> 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 next minute, someone would come up like uh, their games. I think were uh, Chucky Egg. Oh, um, what am I? I was talking to my brothers about that the other just the other day, Brian. <laughs> Chucky Egg was one of the greatest. Games. We still remember it so fondly now. What a game! Chucky Egg and then Jet Set Willy and uh, yep. Money Miner. You know, and I, I, I was fascinated by these things, and I was. As you were with Earth and Earth, you shit at it. And I thought they were, when I look back at them, I think they were really hard games for anybody to try and master because of the timing and different things. But also, you had to sit there and that kind of, you had to be uh, very patient, you know, because you would, you, you, I think I got a Civic 81 and I'd be sitting there for ages waiting for it to load. And then getting fucking irritated when it came up with the error message and all this stuff. R tape, R -tape loading error. That was it. All yeah. This stuff, yeah. you know, and it was like, and we compare it to stuff now, you're thinking, why was I sitting there, like, you know, for all that period of time to maybe end up playing for 20 minutes and then getting fucking frustrated because you couldn't get past that next level or whatever else it is. And then when I went to, um, 
when I when I moved to England in eighty seven, uh, I remember go, we were going shopping and I came across a, a display in uh, I think uh, she was one of those uh, wholesale kind of places like uh, like Costco, and they had a display a Nintendo display, and I was mm. like, what is this? <laughs> Having one of them. <laughs> Your old daughter, and I'm looking at all these things. I'm thinking, forget about what we're there for, you know, like a Hoover or something like that. Or uh-huh. I'm like, we're having one of these, you know, and I bought a. Bought yeah, the first going in for a Hoover, coming out with a Nintendo. Nintendo, that's right, brilliant. Duck Nintendo Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers, and that was again, that was a kind of thing, you know. So, and actually, one of my, one of my kids asked me the other day about how did Duck Hunt work. I says, what do you mean? I says, well, how does it gun work? I says, ah. And don't really know because <laughs> they, they would be standing she'd be standing in front of the television yeah right in front of the television shooting yeah. the ducks witchcraft that's what you it know? was so witchcraft so then it just it just kind of went on from there to the next generation I was, I've always been a I think you, well I think you, same as anything else I've always kind of tended towards Nintendo because that was my kind of my kind of thing was Nintendo yeah I uh because at the time, and I wanted to see what it was like, I persuaded Gary Parser, who lived across the road from me, to get a Sega Mega Drive. Get one of these, big man. What's that? Get one of these. You like it, you know? He bought a Mega Drive with 16 bit at the time, you know? Yeah. And he saw it the Hedgehog. So we'd go over there and watch him play over there. We go that. <laughs> so, you know, so I wasn't investing. Oh, we'll see what it's like. It might be shit, you know? Because I was like, that <laughs> was my Nintendo, you know? But then Games Master, the same thing. And I used to record it. You know, and then I watched the first episode this morning and I was wondering to myself, why did I continue to watch this programme? And do you know why it was, Dominic? Why? Your first guest. <laughs> who, who was the very first guest? The first celebrity guest, or? Yes. <laughs> who, was, who was the first? That's it, because I just wrote a book about it. Who was the very first celebrity guest? Put him out of his misery, Brian. And I'm interested to hear your opinion of him was as well. Well, the, the answer is... John Fashionu, correct? Oh, yes, of course it, yes. And that's because he, uh, we got him on because he knew the boss, Jane Hewland. Oh, great. That's right, yes, Fash, yeah, yeah that's right, Fash came on, yeah. 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 So, Brian, obviously a loaded question. Well, I said to you, what did you think about him? I, I, I liked Fash, I thought he was all right. Why? What, they were not supposed to like him, or what? <laughs> no, he's not supposed to do anything about him. I'm just saying that it's just a... <laughs> He's just all about opinions of different things. Isn't he it? was That's no, he was good. What I, what I liked about Fash was that, um, as opposed to a lot of footballers that we had on the show, was that he had. You knew he was made for telly. He had that energy, and a lot of you know a, a lot of footballers don't have that that size of personality. And that's how I was thinking when you said you were a gamer, Brian and 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 Pallister was. Why did why didn't you guys come on Games Master? Because we didn't live around the corner like Vinny. Oh, that's true. Aye, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why Vinny Jones. That's why Vinny Jones was on so many times because we'd get people like Stan Collymore dropping out on the day, and we knew we could phone up Vinny Jones because he would. Uh, he'd just live around the corner from mm-hmm. wherever we are. That's why Vinny Jones is on just about every single series. But it, it, we all. I always struggled with with the footballers. I really did because they, you know, they didn't have that size of, of personality. And we we loved doing the football challenges every single series. And it was fine when you got you know great people like Graham Lasso. You can always tell the difference when you get a Graham Lasso on. He's obviously a slightly different level of character. Um, uh, Phil Bab as well. But it was uh, it was interesting because that was the. I don't think I would have been able to do the sports radio stuff that I did for the BBC 
if it wasn't for Games Master because video games were my way into footballers because they all played video games. So it was, uh, it, I think it really, it really helped me. And the same with XFM, that I think part of the reason that show was such a success was because the likes of your Arctic Monkeys and Mike Skinner from the streets and, and they loved video games. Yeah. So we were able to get exclusives with the Arctic Monkeys yeah. because they watched Games Master as a, as a kid. So it really, it really kind of fed into lots of different aspects of my career that way. Does it still break down doors these days? I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because we're talking about something that started 28 years ago, something like that. No, so, so nearly, what was it? 30, 30 years. Yeah, 30, 30 years ago. ago. So, yeah. and people are still talking about it of a certain age, but um, it, it still has, it still holds a lot of uh, water for people I speak to. I mean, you tell people I'm chatting to you on this and they'll go, oh yeah, Games Master. Yeah. I, I love it. I think I realised that when we uh, when when we when we did the book and we launched the Kickstarter campaign for that, and I started getting lots of messages from people, I realised that like I knew it was successful on one level, and but I didn't realise what it was doing to so many kids was kids who like computers who back then before you know being a, a nerd or a geek was cool they used to get bullied at school because you know they they, they weren't playing sport and stuff they weren't in the teams and I heard from so many of them who said I got the shit kicked out of me um, because that was my hobby and then the show came on and I was like oh my god other people like this thing as well. and and it turns out I've made friends because of this and so many people it actually was like a bright spark of an otherwise kind of you know quite kind of dark, miserable childhood existence. And I think that's why you remember it fondly because we're all looking, you know, we're all looking for things to make teenage life in particular better because it's just an assault course of, of hell and pre- and pressure and stress. And that's how a lot of us find it through bands and we always remember them. So like, you know, I will always remember, you know, Paul Weller, for the jam and how they got me through my teenage years. And, you know, obviously it's not, um, you know, Morrissey is a problematic character now, but the Smiths, I wouldn't have got through, I wouldn't have got through me fancying girls and them not fancying me back if I couldn't go and listen to the Smiths and realise that it was okay to be depressed and alone because there was a great art to be, you know, to have that. And I didn't realise until recently that's what Games Master and video games did for 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 kids in, in in the 90s yeah and it was it was rebooted not so long ago i mean did, did you have any yes. view on that um what do you think for it's a complicated answer that um okay so my view is i didn't watch any of it and i didn't watch any of it because of a reason and the reason is that um uh, robert florence who presented the reboot i like him a lot i go back always with him and i uh, um i didn't want to be asked what I thought of it and, and say whatever and, and it to affect his chances of, of being a success on that show. So I made the decision to not, uh, to not watch it. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying there weren't conversations that happened between me and the producers, but obviously those conversations were not fruitful, shall we say. Yeah, fair enough. So. Well, we, seeing as we mentioned Terry Christian, we'll ask him what we asked you. Um, well, I'll ask you what I asked him even. Yeah. Tell um You've had so many guests on that show. We've obviously mentioned a lot of the footballers, but you had you had take that. You had musicians. You had you've got you got favourites and and arseholes that you. <laughs> well, I think um, I'd have to say Robbie Williams from Take That uh, is my favourite because he did the foreword for the for the Gaze Master book. I've been so lucky with forewords for books. You know, I've done two: Frankie Boyle and Robbie Williams, which is pretty good. And and I was we were very lucky that. 
we wanted someone who was a guest on the show who was very synonymous with the 90s, but who was still a big name now. And for me, there was only two people and they were also my two favourite guests, which is Zoe Ball and, and Robbie Williams. So I wrote, a, I wrote a note to Robbie Williams uh, well, to his agent and I just said hey listen hi Robbie you know I, I don't know if you remember me Dominic Diamond I was fucking huge in the 90s um, you, <laughs> you were on Gaze Master you won the golden joystick we're looking for a forward for the book and I, I woke up in Calgary two three days later and there's an email in my email box from a Rob W and it was uh, Robbie Williams and he's like Dominic you survived the 90s as well how did we do it he said oh I'm down in LA now I'm, uh, I, I'm guard I don't drink now I garden instead um, and I was like, I'm about, I said, Robbie, this is what I did. If I went to Nova Scotia and I had the wee farm and I spent the week swapping tips with Robbie Williams between Calgary and Los Angeles about manure and the vital role that getting the right manure has to have if you're a gardener. I was blessed in Nova Scotia with a horse farm next to us. And I tell you, if you take one thing away from my appearance on this podcast, if you want to be a gardener, it's all about horse shit. It's all about <laughs> horse shit. Anyway, so um, so you wrote the life? forward. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So he, he wrote the forward, and it's a brilliant forward uh, as well. So I'd have to say, Robbie. And also, he was one of those, there were certain 90s characters that I kept crossing with uh, throughout that decade. Uh, Robbie was one. Jarvis Cocker was another one, although I never spoke to Jarvis Cocker until he came on XFM Scotland. I was always a bit intimidated because I loved Pulp so much. But Jarvis Cocker was one of those people, every party I went to in the, in the 90s, and I went to every party in the 90s, I saw Jarvis and he, we'd look at each other and it'd be like, oh, fuck you again, man. You're the only guy that's as big a ligger as I am <laughs> at these things. But Robbie, I had, um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, one, one wee story about, about Robbie. So I, uh, I went to Ian Rush's testimonial uh, when Celtic played Liverpool. It was a fantastic night. I mean, Celtic got absolutely humped. But it was the uh, first time I saw Kenny Dalglish play live in the flesh. And even at that age, he, he played a half for each team best player on the park that night. He was absolutely amazing. So I went out, two great things happened that night. I met um, the Spice Girl, the Spice Boys, Liverpool players and uh, and I kind of hung out with them a bit throughout the 90s. But I also met, I met this girl. It was, it was always about girls. It was always a love, a love thing. I met a police sergeant and uh, I didn't know she was a police sergeant till later on in the relationship, unfortunately. It was like a scene from a sitcom. I'm not kidding, we're in the morning. You see her getting dressed in a police uniform. That was a shock. So, um, the uh, so I started going out with her, and she was in Liverpool, and I was in London, and uh, she was just amazing. She was like the funniest. I mean, I love Scousers anyway; they're the funniest people in the world. And uh, so she was coming down, and I was supposed to meet her at King's Cross Station, and she said, "Listen, whatever you do, she goes, don't be late." She goes, "I've not been to London before. Do not be late. I don't want to be hanging around King's Cross." So I was late because I was late for everything back then. And I'm about 25 minutes late and I'm kind of looking and then I see her and she's just looking at me with a, with a stare that could kill a wasp, right? And um, and so I'm up and she starts giving me it and everything. How dare you? She goes, I'm getting on the next train. I'm getting the next train right back to Liverpool. And there's a tap on my shoulder. I'm knocking, tap my shoulder and I turn around and there's a guy, there's a guy with a hood covering his face and I'm like, oh, Christ, I'm going to get mugged now after all of this, right? And this one's, all right, Dominic, and he pulled the hood and it's Robbie Williams. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, how are you, mate? I said, I'm good, Robbie. I said, well, actually, I'm not, to be honest. I said, I'm writing this shit. I said, this is my girlfriend, Paula. She's, she's come, you know, down from Liverpool and I was late. I told her I got stuck in traffic, which I hadn't done, it was a lie, but she doesn't believe me. And Robbie said, oh, that traffic on the Marlebone Road. And I went, yeah. And he winked at me, he's like, oh yeah, I was stuck in that myself. And so this girl was like, 
Robbie Williams is getting Dominic Diamond out of the shit here and it completely melted her. And um, so it was all right then. She was like, all right, okay, well, I believe it. And, and Robbie said, because he just left, take that. So he was hiding from the paparazzi then. So he said, listen, he said, I've got to go. The paps are after me. And he put his hood back up and he went away. And I, I was like, this is amazing. And I, I thought, this is it. I'm sorted with this girl. I'm completely in love with her. She's the most beautiful girl I've ever gone out with in my life. She's so funny. She's so smart. We're never going to split up. We get back to my flat and I push the button on my answer phone and there's a message from a guy about the marijuana that he'd managed to score that he was bringing around that night and she just looked at me and I'm like oh shit so that was that relationship basically <laughs> so all Robbie's great efforts to lie on my behalf wasted unfortunately <laughs> Think of that story couldn't be more 90s, could it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply uh, I was going to say, before we touch on um, some of these other points, um, important points in your life and career, um, you've got something new on the go on Substack, haven't you? Tell us what that's all about and where to find it. Yes, I do. This was p- partly partly the result of the Games Master reboot because I got sick of, of looking at my Twitter inbox every day and have hundreds of messages saying, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm really pissed off that you didn't do the Games Master reboot. And I, so I thought there was a little, you know, there's many people who wanted to hear about me talking about games again and I'd written, I'd started being a Guardian columnist and the angle for that was how I'd spent the last 20 years addicted to FIFA online and that was all I played and I'd missed out on all these great games that my kids played and they'd be talking to me about Zelda and stuff like that and I'd be like, I can't talk to you now, I'm playing some random guy in Mexico to get promoted to Division 4 of Global Rivals on FIFA. So um, uh, so I got sick of it in the end that game because it's a horrible toxic online community and they keep encouraging you to get microtransactions. So I started kind of going through games in the last 10 years that my kids had played. And I thought, I love it, but it's only once a month in The Guardian. And I, and I just, I, I got so excited about it again. So I wanted to talk about them more. So this thing, Substack, is a thing a lot of writers I like use because you can go direct to readers instead of, you know, having to wait for a magazine or a newspaper. So yeah, so I do that uh, once a week and it's... um. It's, it's a written column, but I also record it like a podcast as well. It comes out in both forms. And it's great. It's just me kind of getting angry about a lot of things about modern gaming, getting nostalgic about old gaming. Uh, uh, you know, I, I write I write poems about retro arcade games. And it's funny, Brian, that you men- mentioned Space Invaders and Asteroids. So I just, I just had one in... Um, 
the podcast that's coming out tomorrow. It's my Space Invaders poem. And it's told from the point of view of um, one of the Space Invaders who's unhappy about the rigid uh, invasion tactics that they have because all they can do is just go side to side and drop down. And that must have been really terrifying for a young, raw recruit. And in a lot of ways, it's an analogy for armed forces conscription. Anyway, but, um, so, that's, so that's my poem. And, and I was just starting to think about one about asteroids and how it blew my mind, Brian. The asteroids and Pac-Man both came out and they were the first games that you could go off one side of the screen and come on the other. And that blew, I was like, how can this even, it's like a time, how can this even be possible? It was that moment for me because games had always been enclosed by the, the, the outside of the screen until... Pac-Man, and it's, I mean, Asteroid more because it was, you could go anywhere on that whole screen and that blew my mind. So I'm trying to write a poem about that next. Do you, do you um, play some of those old retro games? Because my brother's big into his computer games and of that era as well. Um, and he's got one of those little boxes where you can, you can load up Pac-Man and Asteroids and, and you go back on them as we did. I saw him the other week and we played Asteroids and all the games that you've mentioned. And I know they're primitive and basic, but they're still they're still great fun, aren't they? And you- yeah, I think I think what they do, and uh, <laughs> I was, again, I'm thinking about this for future Guardian Con because I got to be, I got to pretend to be clever for the Guardian, and I'm trying to think of a thing. There's certain rhythms that you get into with certain games that it's almost kind of zen-like, and there's things with Space Invaders is a great example. There's that move, shoot, move, shoot, move, shoot. And with modern games, if you get into like, things like Street Fighter 2, there's this kind of beat em up combos and you can get into a lovely little rhythmic pocket in a game that I find is actually quite therapeutic and quite soothing. And amidst all the chaos that's happening in the game, if you get into that, and I, I call it the kind of inner game rhythm. God, I've changed so much now, my guardian writer. It's terrible. People from Scotland, what is getting right up you? Um, so... <laughs> And I think I think old retro games do that do that in a way modern games don't. I'm just thinking, Brian, if you'd been playing, you know, 10, 20 years, 10, 15 years after you hung up your boots, you would have been an incarnation of uh, FIFA, wouldn't you? You'd have had to uh, have a FIFA card, yeah. Although, funny you should say that, when we were talking about Fashionu on Games Master earlier on, the game that he played against that the kid, the challenger, was Man United in Europe, which is a game I had, which would have... Featured you and Brian Robson. Oh, well, I wasn't because I watched it and I'm not in that. No, it's Man United. Yeah, it was, ele- uh, were Legends Eleven or something, isn't it? No, well, yeah, yeah, they changed. Yeah, they changed it. Bruce was in it, and uh, yeah, Robert no, was in it, and it was Tommy Taylor and Dennis. Yeah, it was a le- but I did have that Emily game. Emily Hughes and all that kind of. Yeah, thing, it was a Legends know, but Eleven. But one of the I things did, that you just seen there the, the, when I was reading about some other stuff, the Dominic is that when you're talking about, for me, it's kind of going to a different way around our games, right? And then I saw you talking about it was that me sitting there waiting for this tape to load in order to play a game. You've got it the other way around now. You play a game and then you've got to wait because they decided they're going to bring a, a, an upgrade to the game. But you've got to wait for it, you know? So that period in between, the period in between that ZX81 to the whatever they decided to give these things now because it generates a great amount of money. So when I'm buying, uh, the only the problem when I'm buying Nintendo is that at that particular time, I used to leave it on all night because if you didn't leave it on, there was, there was no memory like that kind of thing. And that, yeah. So my, my ideal thing was with regards to the consoles and that was when it remembered where you, st- you could start from the point of, yeah. uh, and I think that was the, for me, golden age of, of playing games. 
And now you get to a time where you go, ah, what do we need? I've got to, I've got to download the next version of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems to me be the other way around, you know, you know, like it starts off giving you, you're hooked into it and then, oh, I can't play it now because I've got to wait for the tape to load. But the, the difference is, is that back then it was the technical limitations that were responsible for that. And now it's just sheer capitalist lust for money and yeah. profits. That's yeah. what's horrible. That's the worst part of video games today is that uh, so many of them are released multi-episodic, different patches, different, and it's just all about all about money, which is really, which is bad because how much more do they possibly need? It's the biggest entertainment form on the planet. It now, it now dictates what movies and TV do. You know, so many movies and TV adaptions are based on video games that it's the most powerful force on the planet. How much money do they need? They think they could cut gamers a break. Yeah, but we've not got to the stage in life, though, all of us really, where we're trying to, uh, well, and you've just explored a year in your life when you had the farm about what's uh, what's more important, really, or how you're satisfied. And it's not about how much money you've got, I don't think. It's about the, the pleasures of family. It's about pleasures of in, being able to enjoy yourself, being able to write the things you're doing, do substack and all that kind of thing. So it's not measured in what your bank balance is. Mm. But, but the younger people are, are stuck in a different kind of thing, aren't they? You know, and that's it's not just in it's an all it's an all entertainment industries really because it's so much more available how much people get paid and what they well we say earn is a a certain situation. Football is probably and, and basketball and all sorts of different things. But within that, it becomes restrictions. You know, we were talking about restricted in the sense of where you can go and what you can do depending on your behaviour. But they're in the not with restrictions because if you've got all this wealth or whatever else, somebody might want to take it off you. Yeah. You know, and they might want to take it off you when your family are at home. Yeah. Which has happened quite a lot recent times. So it's, they say, well, what would you swap? You know, if you turn around and ask those people who are involved in some of these traumatic and situations, well, would you give that away? You know, would you rather be. See, so, I mean, for my idea of playing football, I, just, I wanted to play a professional football player because it was good up and I watched the Lisbon Lions and that's why I fell in love with football. But my whole idea of football was that I, I wanted to play, I wanted to play in front of crowds and I wanted to have that excitement and enjoyment. But when I left the stadium, I didn't want that to come with me. Mm-hmm. Now, like you and Games Master, the same thing. You, you, you don't have any choice. But that's a, 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 a ridiculous thing to have. But that's how I would want it to be. Now you're in a, even that the, the the characters in all these um, different scenarios in sport and in all the different things are influenced by all these other people around about them, who are making money out of them because. There's so much money to go around, and they are being persuaded to do diff- lots of different things because it's pr- probably more, more maybe suit them more than it suits the individual. Maybe they're not as much as thought about what's the best thing for the individual. Like in football, for example, the representatives might say, "Well, no, you go. It's best to go here because you get another ten thousand pound, a hundred thousand pound, half a million pounds." Without considering what's the best thing for that particular individual. And the other part for me was that I wanted to win things. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to I used to get pissed off when my sisters coming home on Sundays with big gigantic trophies from Irish dancing. 
you know, oh, fucking nice. They got these trophies and all that. They've got nice dresses. Not that I wanted a nice, nice dress and all that kind of thing, all embroidered on it, but all the fuss round about it, you know. And I was like, I was 14 before I got my first medal, a loser's medal. And some. So what you're saying, Brad, is to help with the know? Premier League and the Cup Winners' Cup and the FA Cup, you wanted a medal, you wanted a trophy for Irish dancing. Is that what you're saying? Well, I didn't do Irish dancing. So <laughs> well, I wasn't yeah, invited. Well, well you know, Irish I dancing. Know, I didn't know guys who do Irish dancing until later on. Irish dancing's <laughs> loss was football's gain. It's not it's sure funny about that. you mentioned about, sure. about, about, about what, what in the nice dresses. So I was chatting to my two uh, my two best pals out here, uh, Neil and Jamie, who are both Scottish. Um, and I was talking earlier on about how I was coming on your podcast. And it was like, we're talking about your Scottish career and the, uh, the times it bridged. Um, and we re- were having an argument whether you wore the worst Scottish uh Top of all time, the one in 1991 that was kind of that torn purple kind of pattern thing. Yeah, with purple. The one, yeah, but it was like it was torn off. It was like a torn bit of paper yeah. at the end. And I, I was looking at that today, and they reminded me they had a sketch on uh, chewing the fat. I think it was about that. And one of them was an artist, and you couldn't see it, and they just throwing random bits of paint at the and it turns on at the end, and it's that Scottish top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been involved in a few. Because uh, at that period of the nineties was like that, yeah? not just in the international football, club football as well. Yeah. There was a oh, picture of you. Uh, the one, uh, the one we were looking at was it was you and Gordon Strachan, and uh, and it was interesting because I, I remember interviewing Gordon Strachan years ago for the uh, for one of the BBC things, and we were talking about you know Celtic Rangers stuff, and he said one of the reasons he left Aberdeen was he hated playing either side in Glasgow. He said he got so much of he got sick of it. He said that he, you know he f- found it so nasty that was one of the reasons that he wanted to get out of Scotland and, and play his trade elsewhere. He got attacked at Celtic Park. That's right, he did, yeah. Was it yeah. you, was it? That's when he was a Rangers fan. Yeah. Get right up, you Gordon. <laughs> no, no, Gordon's a Hibs fan. Gordon was brought up in Edinburgh as a Hibs fan. I was, I was going to say, talking of um, hidden talents, like your Irish dancing, Brian. Um, hidden talents? T- no, hidden, maybe, uh, desire, not Yeah, frustration, yeah, yeah. A frustrated Irish dancer that you are. Um, we spoke about music briefly at the start of the show, but you're a bit of a musician, Dominic, aren't you? As well as many of your other bows that you Yeah, I, 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 I dabble. I try. Yeah. I've, all, I've always had a thing, whatever I've done, um, like uh, breakfast radio shows, I've always tried to have a band uh, that consists of the people on the show. It's a really good kind of thing to be able to do in terms of go out and, and play stuff in it. I mean, my, my dad was a pub singer in our bro, so I, and I, I played classical guitar at school, but I never really had a band until I did the XFM Scotland Morning Show, and there was a, we were looking for a promotion to do for Music Week, and and so I sang, I played guitar. Our producer Scott Shaw, he played bass in a few bands, and we had a, our amazing newscaster Marissa D'Andrade, who'd never played a musical instrument at all, but she was a dancer. So we knew that she had this kind. She knew rhythm. She was a tap dancer. So we uh, got her some drum lessons in Glasgow. And we rehearsed for one week and then we did the White Stripes Seven Nation Army live on air at the end of that week. And so she basically learned to drum in a week. And then we had such fun. We thought, well, let's keep this going. And we were so lucky. We ended up like, I mean, we supported Glass Vegas at King Tut's. We supported Little Man Tay at the Strathclyde Union. And then we ended we did it. We did like a tour. We did a mini UK tour through all the different places. XFM had stations and everything. So that was absolutely amazing. So from that point on, like throughout my the breakfast radio shows I've done in Canada, I've always had wee bands and, and things like that. And 
And yeah, so and I go through stages, you know, like I wrote, I wrote a lot of songs about video game characters as well. And when I was in Nova Scotia, I kind of dabbled on the folk circuit there. Folk music's great for that. And it's really interesting. So my kind of career has been synonymous in Scotland with like new indie music in Canada. I've been known as a, as a classic rock radio announcer. But um, I think every Scottish person at some level deep down is a folky. It's, a, it's a, just a folk music kind of fan. So uh, you go to places like Nova Scotia and it's just brilliant. You go into people's houses and there's, you know, two people with the guitars and someone with a fiddle and people just making up songs. And it's just, uh, it's absolutely glorious. If you, there's, there's, there's two things you, you can, you know, you can move anywhere in the world. And if you like football and or play a musical instrument, you can go anywhere and you'll, you'll find friends. So it's, it's been really great. So on that note, who or what were David Icke and the Orphans of Jesus? Oh gosh, yeah, that was a, that's bizarre to think that that even happened. That was a comedy troupe that I had when I was at Bristol University. And the the lineup was quite ridiculous now. So the, there was, I was the only one that was doing stand-up at the time. And I, I just, uh, I just, I got, I got kind of discovered by Frank Skinner's manager when I was just mucking around doing student stuff. So I did a few gigs supporting Frank and Phil Jupiter's absolute disasters for me because I was too young, but um, it, it kind of helped me grow and, and I wanted to put together something. So there was a couple of funny people that were on the same course as me. Um, one of them, Jason Bradbury, he went on to do the Gadget Show on Channel 5. David Walliams, who went on to do Little Britain. Mavami um, Moore, who was ended up being the producer of Little Britain. And Simon Pegg, who went on to become the most naturally brilliant comic actor that the world has ever seen. So we, we did this thing and we did it in a wee cafe, the Dome in Clifton in Bristol. And I emceed it and these guys would come up with a different acts each week. And we only did it. We did it for like about six weeks, but it was, as you would imagine, with that kind of caliber of people, it got incredibly popular. We only stopped it because we had our final exams. I wish we'd kept it going. I can you imagine if we could have a reunion of that? It would be fantastic. But it was quite incredible to see, especially Simon. Um, he, I mean, I, 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 I was okay, but I had to work really hard at comedy, at writing jokes, at being an MC, everything like that. But Simon was the completely finished article, just going on stage then at like 19. He just, you couldn't improve on it. He did this character, which was a lifeguard, uh, municipal lifeguard poet with an obsession with Woody Allen movies. <laughs> it was just so random, but he was, his timing was, and I looked at him and I, I mean, it was great, but it also depressed me because I'm just like, oh my God, you do, I'll never be this good. I'll never have that innate comic ability so uh yeah it's quite amazing to think of all those people in that wee room at 19 you know it's like the man united class of 92 that's basically what it's like it's like an entertainment version of that <laughs> well well put <laughs> well um in your long and very varied career on radio and tv um surely nothing can top going off to get crucified and that's literally not figuratively speaking um surely yeah <laughs> you know what's really interesting is that this honestly is this is the first time I've been on a podcast that anyone's even brought that up I think it's weird I think people kind of go like did that really happen no I, that must be a misprint um, I saw you yeah that was an interesting little thing it's <laughs> more well <laughs> where, where do you where do you start I mean I, I so I did um I did a I did a TV show called Extreme Celebrity Detox with uh, there was me Jack Osborne Jilly Goulden 
and we uh, we were trying to conquer our fear of heights by uh, rock climbing in Slovenia. And I, I'd, I'd mentioned to the producers as part of that about my lapsed Catholic, Catholic faith. And so they said, you know, they thought it'd be quite interesting for me to try and rediscover it. So they came up with this crazy idea that uh, I would start off I'd start off in Glasgow and then I would go to Jerusalem and uh, I would I would do the Via Dolorosa. I'd walk the, 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 the 12 uh, stages of, of Christ. And, and then I would go out to the Philippines and I would, quote unquote, take part in this uh, crucifixion ritual that they do every year. And and I said yes. And I, I, I mean, I was quite mad. And I, and I don't say that flippantly. I'd... Um, I was suffering from a horrific insomnia at the time. And, and when I say insomnia, it's not like other people's definition of insomnia. I was doing uh, like two TV shows and a radio show in Scotland at the time. And I'd be up for three nights without a wink of sleep. Uh, and it was unbelievably, it sent me completely mad. So I, I kind of said yes to this in the middle of all that, thinking that it might give me an answer. And you know, the crazy thing is, if you take away the not getting crucified bit it did and it was an amazing journey and uh, it was amazing going out to Jerusalem and uh, with Clarence who was the head of the Church of Scotland and, uh, and, and, and and walking around and it really educated me in you know politics there and everything and he would show me different things about the left bank and all that stuff out there and you know and so but then we got to uh, then we got to the Philippines and this crucifixion is getting closer and closer and my wife had said to me no fucking way are you going through. She said, I will leave you. That I'm not, if you are fucking mad enough to get in there, I'm leaving you and I'm taking the guy. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to get, don't worry, I'll fucking, I'll think of something. I'll think of something. And, uh, but I didn't know what it, what it was. And then, and I was kind of lucky in a way that, uh, so I went into this, I went to this Jesuit retreat outside Manila and Father Ramon Batista, one of the greatest, figures of my life spent a week with him going through my whole life and kind of like how fucked up I was and and why and my failings as a father and uh, and it was amazing and I went through what's called a, a general confession and it was like a kind of whole Catholic rebirth and it was like okay I feel great and he said okay so, so here's the thing Dominic he said you cannot go through with this crucifixion he said we don't condone it officially the Catholic Church in the Philippines he said and it will he said it will you know it will just destroy everything that you've done here and you've learned about yourself because it will just become a, a sensationalist thing. And I said, listen, I said, but I get, I get it father, but you know, fucking TV's TV, you know? And, um, and then he, at one point, this, this man, the wisest man I'd ever met, he got down on his knees and he begged me not to do it. And, uh, and I was like, I mean, I can't. And I said, okay, I won't do it. And so I went out and I said to the production team, I said, listen, I said, uh, I said, that was great. I said, I did my general confession. And so I said, so we're fine here. That's a wrap. I can just go back. And they're like, no, no, we have to go. No, I don't need to do the crucifixion thing. He's Father Ramon has said I shouldn't do it. And it's, you know, it's crazy. And so that's it. So I, I was going home, but then they phoned up Channel 5 and Channel 5 said they were going to pull the documentary um, unless I... Uh, got crucified. That has to be the most bizarre telephone call in the history of broadcasting. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then, I'm not kidding, then it became a fucking barter of literal inches by them. Well, what if I go and interview the people about the crucifixion, but don't get, nope, not enough. Okay, what if on the day I go there and I record a bit, to, nope, not enough. Okay, what if I carry the cross through the streets do the whole Via Dolorosa, do the passion and not mm, close. Okay, fine. All right. Okay. 
what if I go up to the foot of the fucking cross, right? <laughs> Will that make you happy? And Channel 5 literally went, all right, as long as you go up to the cross. And it was difficult because at the same time, I wanted this documentary to go out because I was a tortured soul and I was, I was, I was insane. And I, I found great strength through rediscovering Catholicism and I wanted to share that story. But at the same time, I was left in a very difficult position of knowing I was going up to this tiny wee village, Papanga, and I was going to, I was going to shit on these people basically in front of a global audience that, I, you know, and, and so, yeah, so on the day, it was a, it was a weird day knowing I wasn't going to do it. I mean, it's difficult enough carrying the cross uh, through the streets and they have these people, the flagellants and, and they like have masks on it, and they're like flagellating themselves <laughs> and the sprays of blood going all over the place. So I, I love this fact that when people of a certain football club's persuasion like to say, I chickened out. It's like, do you know what? You fucking walk for two hours in 30 degree heat, getting covered in fucking blood by people flagellating themselves, carrying a cross. You tell me that. You go to the bottom of a cross surrounded by the most ardent disciples of this particular brand of Catholicism and you back out at the last minute. And these guys, half of them have got guns. Now, I was lucky. I had a bodyguard there who, uh, Nick, and so when I said I wasn't going to do it, and the grumbles, uh, you know, what's he saying? Oh, he's not going to do it. And they were like, what? and literally, hands are tightening on guns. And Nick had uh, had this little um, microphone, and he was like, emergency evac, emergency evac, emergency evac, right? And there's, a, there's an ambulance that comes to the side. And literally, I run with Nick, and I'm dressed in robes like Jesus, and I'm <laughs> running for this ambulance. And there's guys with guns that are getting really pissed off, and we jump in the ambulance, and, and we're driving out uh, of the, the crucifixion site. There's people chasing after us like it's Indiana Jones, and we basically don't stop driving until we get back to Manila. And I remember walking into a hotel in Manila, blood-stained Jesus robes and everything. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I laugh at it now, but it's... Uh, and the next, the next morning I woke up and the world, the world was ripping the piss out of me. There was like talk shows in New York City, the biggest talk shows, who were joking about this guy who, you know, chickened out of being crucified. So I think I did get fucking crucified. It just took a bit longer. <laughs> so, you know, and it's weird. And I'm, I'm not kidding. And my wife gets so angry when I say this to her. Every Sunday during Mass, I think about that decision. And a lot of times I wish I'd done it. Which well, sounds mad. But I, I, I wish, because it would have been like, then people would stop taking the piss, but my, my wife would have left me and, you know. Well, I, I mean, I've got to, obviously, I've, I've, you know, there's a certain um, Monty Python-esque element to the to this yeah. whole story, but certainly the footnotes, uh, and I feel for the wife of this guy, apparently one of your fellow crucifies, if that's the word, um, actually did go through with that crucifixion on that same day as you were there, but apparently that was for the 20th time. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I interviewed him. I, I helped paint his cross. Yeah, he did it. He he did it every um. He did it every year. Um, you think after a while, it'd be like, oh, you, oh, you know, what I'm gonna do. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. You're gonna get that crucifixion thing again. And it's funny because I'm glad I can laugh at it. Now, one of the things a couple of years ago, and I th- I, I was mulling with taking a, a show to the Edinburgh Festival, um, and it was before COVID happened, and I did start writing it. And so I am going to do a, an Edinburgh Fringe show, and it's called uh, Dominic Diamond, a little cross. Um, uh, Dominic Diamond is a little cross. So, uh, and I want to do it uh, because uh, you know it's a good story. It's funny. It's um, and it. It changed my life as well, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I did it, but it was at some cost. It's always going to be the thing that people will um, 
nail me to coin a phrase <laughs> over. And that's that's the thing as well. It's just like every time there's a, a Glasgow Derby game, again, that's the thing. All the tweets of Celtic beat Rangers, it's like, you know, if I happen to say anything inflammatory, you just open up. And it's all these pictures of me from the crucifixion. And I'm like, so you guys have this on your hat. Do you guys just wait for every game just to post this? What the fuck is up with your life? You don't have other stuff, you know, that you should be getting getting on with, you know? We're going to move on to the mailbag shortly. I didn't know whether, Brian, you had any, uh, you know, you've usually done your your research. I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to bring to the table before we dip into the mailbag. You're thinking of getting crucified yourself now, Brian? Well, we've talked about Brian on um, reality TV before, but that that could be a different... Mm, I've been crucified (laughs) on a daily basis. Crucifixion by a hairdryer. Just a couple of little things. See with the... um, you got away with murder on Games Master, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, we did. were you a fan of Carry On films? Oh, absolutely. I love is my, you know, my earliest memories of those films, and it was. Uh, I think I was always making jokes like that because of them. That was always my go-to humor thing. Was was double entendres. It was like that when I was a teenager and everything. So, I, I, and I think, and I, I don't know why, but I, that's what I did that at the audition. Um, I, I literally made, and I think it, we did the same line in the first show about waggling joysticks and people laughed. So I'm like, oh, that's okay. So because I was a stand up, you know what you do, if you get a laugh, something you're like, all right, let's mind this and mind this and mind this and, and push it as far as we can. So I did. And what's really interesting is that was the reason I got the job. Jane Shuland, the boss, it was, it was her idea for the show. And it was based on her watching her son, Harry and his pals playing Nintendo and how competitive they were. And she showed the audition tapes to Harry and Harry pissed his fucking pants watching me. And that's why, that's why I got the job. So uh, I was like, all right, well, if it works for him, it's going to work for everyone. So yeah, so that, that was it. But we did, we, we went a bit mad with it. But the great thing is, is because it's innuendo, you've always got a defense. You can always say, well, that's not what I meant. No, no, you, you're doing the second entendre. I'm stuck on the first. Mm. I'm on the single. No, no, I just literally meant what you're waggling a joystick. It's a joystick because that's how you play a game. If you think that you're touching a penis, then you're the fucking sick one, not me. <laughs> so it's, that's what's great about those shows. That's why carry-on movies can be shown at any time of the day because that's what's great about double entendres. <laughs> what's the most frustrating video game you played? Ooh. Uh, and it's a bit of a cop-out, but I'd have to say FIFA. FIFA online playing against other people. Oh, because of the, um, yeah. Well, it's also because the, um, it brings out the inner shite bag. If, if you could just score a goal and that's it, fine. But the worst <laughs> thing is when they introduce goal celebrations oh, and right. someone scores and they do the dab on you. That is just, I mean, that makes me just incandescent with rage and I'll throw joysticks against the wall with that and everything. So yeah, get, getting scored against on FIFA without a doubt, that's what, that's that. That's frustrating. One it, final one. Mm. Who inspired you to have a go at stand up? Uh, Billy Connolly. I mean, that's that's the kind of obvious one for anyone who's Scottish. But uh, I, you know, I loved him. I loved him as a storyteller. Thought he was just quite incredible. And he was. It's interesting that a, a lot of people say to me that the reason a lot of people in Scotland say the reason they liked Gamesmaster was they said it was the first person in a proper Scottish accent that they saw on like a mainstream television show. And so for me, Billy Connolly was just like the first Scott, you'd see him on Parkinson and he was the, for me, he was the first Scottish megastar and he did it by telling stories and by being funny. 
And I was, you know, I, I'd grown up in a, a kid in a council estate. You, you know, you want to escape from it. And and if you find out that you're funny, you're like, you know, I, I, I wish that could have been through football, but um, uh, I wasn't quite good enough. I wasn't nearly good enough. In fact, my mum tells a story, bless her. I keep saying I wasn't good enough for football. And my mum says, that's not true, Dominic. You remember you were in the same team as the Toshes at Arbroath High School. who we went until they were good players. He said, but the headmaster ask you to be captain of the chess team instead. <laughs> so you had to stop because you were the only person who played chess. Well, bless her. Mums are great for stuff like that. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I thought being funny, uh, you know, I, I thought, right, I can get out of this if, I, if I'm famous and I can be famous by being funny because Billy Connolly did that. So it was, uh, it was, it was him just absolutely all along. And I learned a lot from, I learned a lot from Frank Skinner. He inspired me when I was actually a, a comedian because he, um, there was one uh, one night and I was in this uh, working men's pub in Birmingham. He was emceeing and I was first on and I went on like, you know, 18 years old, little ring glasses, clean shaven. And, and I was doing political comedy. Don't ever do political comedy when you're 18 years old in a working men's pub. And I went on stage and I was like, hands up who hates Maggie Thatcher. And literally, guys were like, Fuck off, you fucking little twat. Mm. <laughs> it's fucking getting bombarded. And I'm trying to do this political stuff and I got fucking died of death. And I like, I, I, after about three and a half minutes, I'm like, oh, fuck this. And I just, I said, like, that's it. And I walked to the bar and I'm at, Frank comes back on, does his stuff, the rest of the acts do great. And I'm sitting in the bar having a drink. And I just, I honestly, I just, I wanted to kill myself. It was just, there's nothing worse than that, by the way. Dying a death, a, a stand-up comedy is the worst feeling in the world. And I speak as someone who backed out of a crucifixion. So you know how bad it is. And, um, and Frank Skinner comes up to me and I look up and I'm like, oh, well, there's Frank. He's the reason I'm doing this. He's the one that spotted me down in Bristol. He's going to, you know, he'll put a fucking consoling arm around my shoulder. He'll make me feel better. And Frank Skinner comes up and he's like, hey! You are fucking shit, weren't you? <laughs> Big Frank's gonna smile, and I'm like, "Why?" He said, "Oh man," he said, "You've never seen anyone die like that before." And then he went, and here's why you died. And he sat down and he fucking went through all these things that I'd done wrong. And he's like, "You can joke with an audience, but don't fucking go up there and challenge them from the off. You got to warn them up first of all." don't go and fucking he said you started off by slapping them don't slap them fucking cuddle them tickle them then do the and he was brilliant I learned so much from uh, from Frank so he was probably the inspiration when I, when I actually started doing it and that was what was great to finally get him on Games Master um, in Series 4 that was like me saying okay Frank you know did I do alright you know I kind of tried to learn from you so that was nice McClare's Mailbag McClare's Mailbag McClare's Mailbag we opened our lines of communication for you and you duly responded with questions for Dominic and Brian. So, Matthew, what have we got? Okay, our faithful friend Cumbrian Dave chips in uh, with one for each of you. Um, and he says, Dominic, where did you exile to in the Lake District when you left London and did you do anything? <laughs> and for Chockey, he says, where will you exile to when you finally had enough of Matthew? So you can simmer on that one, Brian, while uh, Dominic tells us about his trip to the Lake District. Well, I lived uh, I lived just outside the most wonderfully named town in Britain, uh, Cockermouth. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I, I actually, I moved there because I thought, um, and I, I don't even get into it because it gets more embarrassing with every passing year. I, I believed the Millennium Bug was going to happen. And that's uh, the perfect example of, of what, you know what cocaine does to you they say it makes you paranoid it does i believe the millennium bug was real 
So uh, I, I moved out of London and bought this wee farmhouse halfway up a mountain in the Lake District. And I was convinced that that's where we're going to ride out the apocalypse here. And and then I found out, I'm not joking, because I, I was like, oh, you know, we're going to have like, you know, nuclear meltdowns and stuff like that. And then I realised that just over the other hill was um, Sellafield. <laughs> <laughs> And if there was, the Millennium Bug was going to happen, I'd, I'd die before anyone else. So, yeah, so we spent a year in the Lake District and uh, I, I just, I, I it wasn't a, a happy time. Not because the Lake District, people were lovely there, but I realised I had literally given up an entire media career in London, stepped off the property market in London. I would never be able to afford to go again because of an irrational, paranoid fear fueled by a cocaine addiction. So, um, yeah, and then, and then so that's why I went back up to Scotland. And, and one of the many times I've had to restart a career from start. I think Cumbrian Days in Whitehaven. So you haven't slagged off Whitehaven yet, although you might want to. I don't know what's, what's worse. I, than- went to Whitehaven, I went to Whitehaven once because it's on the coast. And then I was like, well, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not happy here. There must be something I can find solace in. So I went to Whitehaven and it just made me miss our broth. <laughs> where I, grew up. I was like, hang on, this isn't the beach. <laughs> so I was going to, he's asked you there where you're going to go to avoid me, Brian. But the irony is, if anything, you're moving closer to me, aren't you? No. Wow. Yeah, don't want no, to give away. See, the simple thing is you because you're so typically English, <laughs> is that anywhere in Scotland would be away from you. So there's not it's a, <laughs> anywhere in Scotland because you will not. In fact, you travelling to where you actually live in Liverpool is a bit of a problem for you because you are very much a home county's wee boy. <laughs> Maybe I was in a previous life, but uh, well, you are. <laughs> As we said before... You don't live in Liverpool because it's cheap. The price of ale uh, makes a big difference to my my life standards. So, uh, yeah. And uh, we don't have to pay the the alcohol tax like you do in Scotland. So uh, it's a a win-win situation. (laughs) So moving on swiftly, um, Martin Lee wants to know, and this one's for you, Dominic, uh, who were the biggest celebrity cheats you ever had on Games Master? Um, Let's just say, I mean, it's not his fault, but let's just say when when Yuri Geller was on and he was playing that game using only his mind, mm. uh, maybe maybe it wasn't just his mind. Maybe there was a researcher behind the curtain, maybe assisting in some way. But that we just said, I mean, that was all set up as, as a prank. And in, in Yuri's defence, um, he did do that old, you know, draw something and I'll tell you what you've drawn thing on me. And it and it worked, and so I, you know, I'm, and and obviously he moved the ball for Gary McAllister's penalty in Euro '96. You know, we all know that. We all know that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, God bless him for that. Eh? <laughs> you going off topic? Um, you're uh, you would have got on Games Master had you been asked, wouldn't you, Brian? As long as fashion yeah, I would have been, yeah, of course I would, yeah. Well, no, I haven't said that. It would have been the Downey Fergie that, I and mean, I would I'd have been delighted to go on, but. You had to get his permission. Well, yeah, well, would you have thing, had to, you know, to run so. something like that past him? Uh, immediately. <laughs> Do you imagine trying to explain to Fergie oh, what no, you were going I, on um, and what? No, what? No. <laughs> well, it, the thing is about it, he probably he might have watched it and went, "Yeah, that's right up your street, you weirdo." <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was pretty sensible considering what else you could have been on. I mean, you could have been on the word, or you could have. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of other things you could have been invited on yeah, to. Yeah, but I mean, there's the, but 
See, see when you're like outside that kind of thing, you can go back generation to generation, depending on what the different thing is. He would have been like, "You're playing football on a, a on the television rather than going outside and kicking a ball about, or you're playing <laughs> you're playing cards on this. What what is this? You know, you're doing. You know, I've been just they wouldn't yeah. at that time. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have got it at all." Yeah. The irony is that in a way it's probably exactly what he wants his players to be doing, not going out, not drinking, not doing anything, just staying at home and be living quite a, a secure uh, lifestyle for a perfect child, that kind of thing. But that control you can have over uh, yeah, yeah, that would be perfect for a man, that control you have over the whole thing that you you just that they the players and that's exactly what you do, you know. And and also the challenge if there was such a thing as as kind of real life uh the kind of thing about where you build your team and you're competing against someone else and you're using all the things that you believe in against uh, maybe some of the, 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 what they believe in, so modern era that he, I can imagine them being quite into playing that kind of thing against the Klopp or Guardiola now where you've got control over the players you choose and see how that all transpires, you know? I'm just, I'm just loving this alternate history that could have happened that if if you had come on and as a result Fergie had started playing championship manager on the PC <laughs> that'd have been fantastic I can see him getting really into it as well but the irony is that all I see now well from what I know all footballers do now is play computer games that's all they do they don't yeah. drink they don't go out they don't do what they did in your era Brian they just sit in their big mansions and, and play FIFA so uh, maybe you're ahead you of the got- game have you got cameras attached to all well, these people's houses? <laughs> I said, no, I said, from what I hear, <laughs> from what I, the impression I get, you were, you, once again, you were, you were uh, setting the standard for uh, the modern day profession. Yeah, but this is, is, I mean, people say that all sorts of different things about playing games. And it's probably no different from all the games we used to play where we had to play in the street. And you might have to involve lots of different people to play games, kick the can, hide and seek, all these different things. I suppose that the negative thing is that you're not getting the exercise you would when you get involved in those set of things. But um, everybody likes to escape, and, and games give you a great way of diverting away from getting crucified. <laughs> <laughs> What a way to end it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on, on that note, um, that's game over, gentlemen. Uh, there are no power-ups or extra lives for us on this episode. So all that's left for me to do is to thank our special guest, Dominic Diamond. What a pleasure it's been. Um, before we let you go, Dominic, remind us of the details of your Substack, uh, your Twitter, and anything else you want to plug. Okay, uh, at Dominic Diamond, D-O-M-I-N-I-K, because uh, there is one poor guy who is at Dominic Diamond, D-O-M-I-N-I-C, and I feel really sorry for him after Glasgow Derby games. Um, so uh, the, the, more, the, the more poorly spelling <laughs> members of the Rangers fans. <laughs> so unfortunately target that guy. And uh, and yeah, so my Twitter's the best thing. That's got all the details. Um, the Substack address is a bit cut. It's like DominicDiamond.sub, so forget that. Just just follow me on Twitter and you'll see there's the big the big banner at that on, on the top of the page. And, and can I just say that this has been a, a, an absolute absolute thrill that uh, you are such an utterly unique uh, former footballer 
Brian, you're just a you, such a unique character, and it's it's you're fascinating, and it's brilliant talking to you. You really are a as someone who has uh, had problems in their life because I'm a little bit weird and random and different. It's great to uh, to talk to someone who is also weird and random and different. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll uh, make it continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian, Matthew, thank you both very much as well. Thank you. And thank, thank you, guys. Dominic, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks to you out there for listening and for joining us once again on our little odyssey through football and other nonsense. Uh, we are back again soon, so please hit subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Brian McClare Pod for details of future episodes and other random McClare bits and bobs. So, bye for now. Life with Brian, talking films or music. Life with Brian, talking TV and food. Life with Brian, talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, talking politics and football. Life with Brian, it's different every episode. Life with Brian, life with Brian. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.